morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, my name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here. Uh, if you are a guest or a visitor, welcome. Uh, we are glad to see you this morning as we uh, gather for worship, as we come and we uh, present our souls before the Lord. It is good to be together and to sing to him and uh, to come to his word. So again, if you are a guest or a visitor, welcome. If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, I, I would love to meet you. Uh, after the service, if, if you have time to stick around, uh, I would love to greet you formally, but, but we are glad that you are with us. Well, this morning, we are going to be looking at a passage uh, in the Psalms. This summer, we've been looking at various Psalms, and we've been hopping around a little bit. And this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 63. Psalm 63. So Psalm 63 is a Psalm of David, as indicated in the title. So if you remember a few weeks ago, if you've been with us, uh, I mentioned that those titles in our psalms, at some of our psalms, uh, those titles there are original to the Hebrew Bible. Uh, they are part of what we call the Masoretic text. And so that means that they are part of God's word. They are actual scripture. And so we've seen various psalms that say things like a psalm of David or a psalm of Asaph or a song of ascent. But this morning we have a long title, a long title. Um, it's a called a long title because it's a little bit longer. <laughs> it's, it's about as technical as you can get right there, but that's why theologians and, and psalm experts call them that. And in this long title, we are given the circumstances that surrounded the writing of this psalm. David says that he was in the wilderness of Judah. David's on the run. He's fleeing for his life. Now, we're not exactly sure where in his life, at what point in his life, this is referring to, because David actually was on the run multiple times in his life, right? There was Saul, who was the king before David, who was seeking his life, and then there was Absalom, his son, who was uh, trying to usurp David's kingship, and he was after David, and David was running for his life. So we don't know if it's at the beginning of his reign as king, or if it's near the end. We're not exactly sure. But what we do know is that David is in need, that he is languishing. What do you do in those times of need? What do you do in those times when you are sad and feel alone? What do you do in those times when you are languishing? So surely um, we, we are not on the run for our lives. Uh, we are not in the wilderness. And yet metaphorically speaking, we know what it's like to be in the wilderness, don't we? We know what it's like to be alone, to feel out of control, to be languishing. And so what do we do? Where do we turn? Well, let's read Psalm 63. A Psalm of David, when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. 
but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouths of liars, they will be stopped. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we do thank you that you are the one who provides relief in time of need, that you are the one who has spread out your wings and provided a shelter, and that we can hide in the shadow of your wings, and that we can find rest for our souls. And so we pray that that's what we would find this morning as we come to this passage. And we pray that you would allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts to please you, our God and our King, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. So where do you turn? As I was thinking about that this past week, um, where do we turn in our time of need? Where do we turn when we feel like we are languishing? I realize that in times of sadness and distress, when our souls are wearied and burdened and we feel alone, oftentimes if you are like me, we turn inward. We turn to ourselves. We actually start to isolate ourselves. That's the movement of our hearts. That's the inclination of our hearts to want to turn inward. I felt this just a few weeks ago. I've shared with some of you, and, and I guess now I'm sharing with all of you, <laughs> but a few weeks ago, uh, I, I had this overwhelming experience of sadness. I just had this week where, where it just felt like there was a cloud hanging over me. And I really don't know what caused it. Like, things were good at home. Like, Kat and I, we were great. Like, we weren't fighting or anything. You know, things were going well. The kids were having fun. We're enjoying our summer. Things with the church are going, you know, I think they're going pretty good, you know, um, but, you know, I, I couldn't put my finger on it. There was just this sadness. There was just this cloud, this feeling of melancholy, and, and I just didn't know where it was coming from. And so in the midst of that, I, I realized eventually I, I talked to some people. I asked for prayer. I, I shared it with others. I tried to pinpoint it, and I couldn't come up with it. But, but I realized that before I ever asked for help, before I went to anyone, where I went was inward. It actually took me some time before I actually said to someone, I'm, I'm just kind of down. I'm kind of sad. I actually started to isolate myself from from God's people, but I also isolated myself from the Lord. You see, I didn't go to him in prayer either, right? It's, it's as though, like, maybe I could hide this from him, right? Like, he doesn't really know what's going on inside. If I don't say it, then he'll just kind of not know about it, but we know that's not true. But yet, that was the inclination of my heart. It's, it's just simply easier to isolate myself from others and even the Lord. And you know what that's like, right? Those times of down, those times of sadness, those times when you feel alone. David knows what it's like. Did you hear the language he uses in verse 1? My soul thirsts, my flesh faints. It's as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. David, as he comes to the Lord, he's not questioning his status before the Lord. He knows that he is still the king of Israel. He knows that he is a man after God's own heart. He knows that God has called him. He's not questioning his status before the Lord, but he, he is expressing his experience. You see, though he knows before the Lord he is loved, the Lord still feels very distant to David. His soul feels parched. It feels dry. 
And we know what that's like, don't we? We call it spiritual dryness sometimes, right? Where it just feels like things just aren't right. They just feel a little off. It's not necessarily that we had sinned or someone had sinned against us. It just feels, feels like things are dry. In our, maybe that's what I was experiencing a couple weeks ago. I'm not sure. Maybe that's what you're experiencing even this morning. So where do we turn? What will we do? Will we turn inward? Will we isolate ourselves? Will we look only to ourselves or will we look somewhere else? Where will we turn? Well, look where David turns in verse 1. He says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. You see, David turns to the Lord in his dryness, in the wilderness, in the parched land. He turns to the Lord. Earnestly I seek you, he says. Earnestly. There's no hesitation. There is an intense, sincere pursuit of God. And his pursuit of God isn't aimless. He's not just kind of reaching or trying to grasp it at the wind or at the mist. He, he's purposeful in his pursuit of God. He goes to where he knows he can be found. Look at verse 2. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. David goes to the sanctuary. He goes to the place of worship. He goes to the place of worship because David knows that it is in worship that he will find what he is longing for that he will find satisfaction for the dryness of his soul. You see, it's, he goes to worship because he knows it's in the sanctuary that he will be confronted by the beauty of God and he will find refreshment that he is needing. And friends, that's what we need. That's where we need to go. You see, in those times of dryness, it's easy for us to want to retreat and to pull away and to, to feel distant. And, and so now when we hear, we'll go to worship, go to the sanctuary, go to the place where God can be met. It can be very easy for us to be a little cynical. That's way too easy, Pastor. Just go and sing some songs and pray some prayers and sit under his word and come to, like, and then my soul will be refreshed, right? Because we're cynical people. Right? And so we have a posture towards worship that's, that's actually very similar to that of Eeyore. <laughs> you guys remember Eeyore from Way the Pooh, right? Eeyore, this uh, gray and gloomy donkey, right, who's very pessimistic and he's in a perpetual funk. And this perpetual funk hangs over him no matter the circumstance, right? And so one of the stories, one of the Winnie the Pooh stories, right, it's Eeyore's birthday, and so Pooh and Christopher Robin and, and Owl and Piglet, they're all coming to celebrate Eeyore's birthday. And they bring him a cake and they have presents and they come and they, they say, Happy birthday, Eeyore! And in this time of celebration, in this time of rejoicing at his birthday, what does Eeyore say? What's so happy about it? <laughs> Right in the moment when the sun should be breaking through the darkness that perpetually hangs over Eeyore, he can't believe that the sun would ever break through. Right, the cloud is too dark, it is too thick for him. What's so happy about it? And I think that sometimes that when we come to worship, that that's our perspective. We hear words like, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And in our hearts, we think, what's there to be glad about? Now, we know better than to say that with our words, right? <laughs> but we feel it in our hearts. Now, listen, I'm, 
I, I don't want you to be sitting there and thinking that, that I'm being dismissive or trite about the sadness or the gloom that may be overhanging some of you even now. I'm not. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not being dismissive. David's soul truly was thirsting. His flesh really was fainting. But what I want us to see is, is that we cannot allow that thirst or that fainting to prevent us from coming to the very place where that thirst is quenched and where our flesh finds strength. You see, friends, to, to give up meeting together and to put aside the worship of God's people in the midst of the clouds is to embrace the gloom and to remain in the parched land. And that's not what David would have for us. You see, he doesn't ignore the weariness and he doesn't dis dismiss the desolation of the wilderness. He actually seeks to combat it by turning to the Lord because he knows that though the Lord may feel very far off, he's actually very, very present. As one writer put it, when the sun goes behind a cloud, it is no less near than when its rays are felt. And so too with the Lord. You see, we turn to the Lord in the midst of our dryness. That is whom we turn to. And we turn to him because he is the one who satisfies. That's why we turn to him. He satisfies us. Look at verse 5. David says, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. David uses the image of food because we all know what it's like to be satisfied by a good meal. Do you know that I can remember the very best hamburger I've ever eaten? I didn't make it. <laughs> I can remember it. It was at a little restaurant called Home in Maplewood, Missouri, this little tiny restaurant. Yeah, not my home. <laughs> a I don't even think it's there anymore, but I remember it was a number of years ago, and I was meeting a friend for lunch, and we sat down, and my friend Mark, he looks across the table, and he says, Penny, I know you have to go back to work, and this is going to put you into a food coma, but, but trust me, order the burger. And so I did. I ordered the burger, and out it came, and it was this uh, grass-fed beef, and it was perfectly seasoned, and it was cooked just right, and it had thick strips of bacon and a brioche bun, and on top of the bacon was an egg. It sounded kind of strange to me, but I trusted my buddy. And when you squeezed on the bun or when you cut it in half because the burger was so big, the, the yolk actually slowly seeped out and the brioche bun soaked up the yolk so when you bit into it, it was rich and velvety. And it was amazing. <laughs> and as I ate, so normally, uh, if you've had dinner with my family, we are like uh, speed eaters. <laughs> like, it's like if we, we are efficient people and we are going to be efficient when we eat. But this day, I was savoring every single bite and I didn't want it to end. And I called this meeting with my buddy, but I wasn't talking to him because I need to chew and taste and enjoy. Because it was the best thing I had ever had. It, it still is the best hamburger I have ever had. And I just wanted to keep eating because, because of that feeling that I was having. A feeling not of gluttony, but of satisfaction that I have tasted something unlike anything I've ever had before. And David is saying that is the experience we have when we enter into the presence of the Lord. That it is more so than that, that he satisfies us as with fat and rich food. You see, our souls 
that are thirsting and hungering. That thirst is quenched and that hunger is resolved by the presence of God. He is the one who satisfies us. That's what the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 55. When he says, come everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. The prophet Isaiah is telling us exactly what David was telling us. That our soul's longing for satisfaction is met in God and God only. And what is beautiful is that God gives us that satisfaction. God's satisfying our longings, it is actually birthed out of his love. A love that David says in verse 3 is better than life. Did you hear that? Your steadfast love is better than life. How can David say that? Your steadfast love is better than life? I mean, that seems a little dramatic, doesn't it? It sounds like this is just some sort of poetic device, right? Like star-crossed lovers, you know, your love is better. Like that's kind of, how can David say that? Your love is better than life. Is this just simply hyperbole? No. No, David's not being dramatic, and he's not being hyperbolic. David can say this because he recognizes that God's love is different than any other love that we have ever experienced or will ever experience. That his love is unique, his steadfast love. Remember a couple weeks ago, I said there are two Hebrew words all Christians should know, right? The first Hebrew word is God's name, Yahweh, and the second Hebrew word is chesed, right? And that word chesed is translated steadfast love. Every time you see steadfast love in the Psalms, I looked it up, every single time it is chesed. God's covenantal love. The love that he shows and showers upon his people. His never-ending love. His never-breaking love. His never-stopping love. His love that never wavers and is always and forever. That is the love that David is singing of. That is why he can say it is better than life. It is a love that David knows because it was shown to him when God called him to be king. And it was that same love that defended him against his enemies and would defend him in verses 9 and 10. We're going to look at that in a minute, but he alludes to being defended against his enemies. And it's that same forgiving love that David experienced when in his grief he repented of his sin and found grace. And that's the same kind of love that we know. Because the steadfast love that God showed to David thousands of years ago is the same steadfast love that he shows to us. You see, friends, it was out of his love that God sent his son to take on flesh and dwell among us. And it was out of his love that Jesus healed the sick and he cared for the sinner. And it was out of his love that Christ died on the cross so that our sins would be forgiven. Jesus himself said, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends, and friends, that is what he has done. That's what he does for you and for me. If you are trusting in him, the love of Christ, that is what he has given to you. 
And when we experience that kind of never-ending, never-stopping, self-sacrificing love, we are going to echo David's words, your steadfast love is better than life. In other words, it is better to die in the midst of God's love than to live a thousand generations without it. Friends, that's why we turn to him. When our souls are dry, when our hearts are longing, that is why we turn to him, because his love satisfies. But how do we turn? So if that's who we turn to, that's why we turn, how do we do this? Well, I already mentioned we come to worship. We do that. But David expands beyond that. Look at verses 5 through 8. David says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. You see, David doesn't just fixate his attention on the Lord in the times when he goes to the sanctuary, but he focuses upon the Lord even in the bed, in the watches of the night. You see, this turning to the Lord, this this trusting in him is an all-day, all-of-life endeavor. So how do we do this? Well, David tells us we meditate. We meditate. Now, Now, that word might make us feel a little uncomfortable, right? Um, Christians, let's go meditate. It it might make us feel a little strange to say that because that word is pregnant with all sorts of meaning in our culture, right? When we hear meditate, we probably think of kind of uh, this this idea that is informed by Eastern mysticism than, than it is biblical Christianity, right? We think of meditation as an emptying of our minds or entering into some sort of zen-like state of uh, emotionless, emotionlessness. But that's not what biblical meditation, medication, (laughs) it's not that either. It's not biblical meditation, that's not what it is. Biblical meditation isn't an emptying of our minds, it's actually a focusing of our minds on the things of the Lord. As Alan Chappell, the writer, put it, it's a focusing on the truth and staying with it until it registers as it should. It is focusing on God's truth. It's pondering it. It's soaking it in. It's drinking from God's truth. So if we're going to do this, do you know what that means? It means we need to be in God's truth. It means we need to be drinking from his truth. It means we need to be pondering his truth. It means we need to be in his word. And so, so it would be good for us to do a little bit of personal inventory. To think back maybe upon this past week. And to just think, like, um, of all the things that I've been reading and all the things I've been drinking from and all the things that I've been consuming, would I find myself spending more time being consumed by God's word or by blogs? Now, blogs are so passe. That was like so 1999 or 2001 or whatever, right? So, so forget blogs. People don't read blogs anymore. What about Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and podcasts, right? What about those sorts of things? I mean, are, are we drinking more from those 
Are we engaging more in those sorts of pieces of media than we are God's word and things that are pushing us towards God's word? Now listen, don't don't hear what I'm not saying, right? Uh, I'm not saying that you need to shut down your Twitter feed and that you need to, uh, to delete your Facebook page, and you need to stop subscribing to podcasts. That's not what I'm saying, though, though there may be a place for that. Um, it's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, though, is what is influencing us more? What are we meditating upon more? Is it what we've read on social media, or is it what we read in God's word? So how do we know what's influencing us? Well, are you becoming more angry and more cynical and more pessimistic and more distrusting? Or are you becoming more hopeful? How do you view the people of the world? How do you view the world itself? Are, are you viewing it with anger and frustration? Or are you viewing it as God does with compassion? as people who are harassed and helpless and are in need of a shepherd? How do you look upon the people of the world, not just God's people, but, but all people? Do you look at them as just simply people that are to be opposed? Or are they people made in the image of God who need his care and his grace and his truth? See, friends, the truth is, is that if our souls are dry and are need, in need of water, if we drink more from the world than we do God's word, then, then we're actually drinking salt water. We're drinking salt water, and it looks good, and even for a moment it may taste good, but it leaves us weak and sick. What we need is to drink the pure water of God's word. That is what we need to meditate upon his word, to meditate upon his ways. And as we do so, we'll remember what he's done. You see, that's the other thing that David does. He doesn't just meditate. He also remembers. Look at verse 6. I remember you upon my bed. And in verses 7 through 8, he tells us what he remembers. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. You see, David remembers what God has done. That God has been his help. He has been his shadow. I love that language, his shadow. I mean, think about where David is. He is in the desert. He is under the baking sun. And what does he need? He needs protection from its harmful rays. And he calls on God as his shadow, the one whom he can stand under, who can protect him from the hurt and the pain. That's who God has been in the past. This is who God has been, and David clings to him now. You see, friends, remembering the past, remembering who God is and what he has done, it reshapes our present with hope for the future. And that's what David has. He has hope. See, in verses 9 and 10, he speaks of his enemies, but those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals, but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. You see, David has hope because of who God is and what he has done. He has hope that his enemies will be defeated. That the contrast is amazing, isn't it? The king rejoices, but, but those who oppose the king, those who oppose God, their mouths will be stopped. 
You see, when David experiences God's protection and his care, he rejoices, he has hope that even though he is in the midst of the dry and weary season, that that is not the end. And people of God, that's not your end. That is not your end either. You see, God doesn't shower us with his steadfast love and his care. He doesn't shower us with his grace and his mercies to then leave us in the midst of the wilderness. No, instead, instead he cares for us. He provides for us. He gives us what our soul is longing for. And when we recognize this, we will rejoice as David has. We rejoice that the one to whom we've turned to and the one to whom we've clung and the one we've meditated upon, he is the one who has satisfied our souls. We will rejoice and be filled with thanksgiving. And so people of God, in the midst of your dryness, maybe even now, Maybe even now, maybe some of you are coming this morning and you feel very far from the Lord. Maybe you are coming this morning and you have been drugged here by a spouse or by a parent. Or maybe you are here simply because of obligation or duty. Regardless of why you are here and where your heart is, whether you are dry or you are rejoicing, do not turn inward. Do not remove yourself, but turn to the one to whom steadfast love has been shown from. Turn to the one who has provided you with, you with a love that is better than life. Turn to him and find rest for your souls. Let's pray. Our God, our King, we do thank you. We thank you that you do not leave us to ourselves, that you have not left us in the wilderness, but you have drawn near to your people, that you have showered us with love and grace, with mercy and care, that you have fed us with the riches of food so that our souls are satisfied. And we pray, Father, that you would do that again. And so for those who come dry and feeling distant from you, we pray that you would rejuvenate them. For those who come filled with celebration and rejoicing, we pray that their celebration would be all the more. And we pray that we, like David, would rejoice, knowing that your steadfast love it is better than life. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen.